Hello, and welcome to Bobby and Yen's presented by Zwift. One thing I'm thankful for is still being able to train with friends on Zwift any time of the day. Being motivated by the massive community means there's always someone to ride with and new locations to explore. Like the new Japanese-inspired Makuri Islands and my personal favorite route, the Mega Pretzel on Watopia. Riding with friends makes the training easier and they always know how to push me. Visit Zwift.com and I'll see you on there soon. Ride on. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik and as always, ho ho ho, Jensi. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. Um, just um, recently I had a sudden case of midlife crisis and I asked myself, hey, do you think you can still run a half marathon distance? I'm like, well, hell yeah, of course. Well, I suffered three days from it, but I made it. I did run my 21 kilometers um, in my neighborhood here and uh, just because I felt like it. That's so Yenzi. That's so, so no, no training before that, just off the couch, half marathon. Well, I, uh, I did have two runs before, like 10 days before 5K and then um, five days before 10K. And I figured that should do. Wow. Kids. Don't do that. <laughs> I had a pretty mellow weekend, actually. It was nice to be home, relax. I mean, it's obviously getting a little chilly down here, you know, the closer we're getting to Christmas. But um, looking forward to getting out on a mountain bike. I don't know. The mountain bike has... Um, I got the itch, and I got a, a new mountain bike that I'm excited to go try from my, um, my home state of Colorado, um, a little company called rebel bicycles so i'm going to go out and play around with that thing over the holidays but um today we have a great guest an old friend of ours ef education nepo director sportif extraordinaire charlie wagalius he's been a good friend of ours for a long time and it's just nice to catch up with him so sit back get a little cup of hot cocoa and listen to our great interview with charlie Okay, let's jump to it. We have EF Education Nepo, Sports Director Extraordinaire, Charlie Wagalius with us today. Charlie, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Thanks for having me. Did I pronounce your name right there? Did I get it somewhat correct? Close somewhat enough. Correct? Good enough. Okay, yeah. good, good. Man, it's been a long time. It's great to see you. It's great to hear your voice. Um, yeah, man. I mean days of suffering on the bike together are, are are over i remember you know my my main memory of you is every time we'd see each other at races you'd oh, bobby i'm so tired oh i'm so <laughs> tired so yeah now that the suffering is long over um you know you're in the ds car but every once in a while do you miss riding the bike and racing the bike at all uh i have to say very rarely I think uh, that's the piece of string that I got to the end of, and um, I'm I'm happy to have moved on. Uh, there's days uh, I wish I could ride a bike, but I don't really miss the racing very much. 
Um, so I think it's something something I've done and I've got rid of and glad that I did it, but I don't really miss it, to be honest. See, um, I sometimes have the question as well, if I miss it, or he said, no. Um, and you go, yeah, but, but why? And then I go, listen, imagine I punch you in the face as hard as I can. And tomorrow morning I ask you, hey, did you miss it? And you go, hell no, of course not. It hurt. It yeah. did hurt so much. But, so that's my answer to that question. We're on the same page here, Charlie. Yeah, I mean, you, but but Jens, you you went so long with it that you definitely, you know, you went for far enough that you you don't want to do it again. So I think you you definitely went to the end of the string with that. So yeah, in the end, I believe I had every cell of my body just go, <laughs> give it up. Yeah, I don't want it anymore. Give it up. <laughs> but Charlie, before we you know get to more current events, you know, to give our listeners a little bit of a backstory on on you. Um, you know, you were, you were on that, that super team from the MAPE kind of development squad. I mean, you had Fabian Conchalera was on there, uh, Cioni, Pozzato, Bernard Eisel, Alan Davis, uh, Michael Rogers. Who else am I forgetting there? Um, Paulini, maybe like, yeah, like you've Jamie like, Petzlaff. Yeah. Leif Hoista, Hoista, like, man, that was that was a pretty cool group of guys that you got to hang out with from such a young age. Tell us a little bit about those days there on that that young Mape team. Well, I mean, it was uh, quite a quite a whirlwind few years for me in general, really, because in in those days that team was like it was the the Real Madrid of the situation. You know, it was just the the absolute top level. And um, I mean, I was a fairly good uh, under twenty three rider, but I wasn't. I wasn't, you know, on that kind of level to just walk into that team. And uh, they made this Young Riders team, which was a fairly unique project uh, then. And I, I don't think it's ever really been reproduced in that way since then. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I got uh, from my last year as an amateur, you know, I was doing well, but the phone wasn't exactly ringing off the hook. And then literally within a matter of weeks... I found myself in that team, you know, and it wasn't a segregated young riders team. I mean, we were in pretty regular contact with the, so so to say, big riders team. So that was Museo and Tonkov and Steels and, and all these guys. And it was a pretty, pretty exciting time for me, you know, to have that kind of contact with those guys. So something I look back on fondly. And, um, Back then, did you guys had more freedom the way to race you wanted to? Because I remember you, especially from your days with Leipzigas. And man, whatever the situation was, you were the first guy they called to work. It mm. didn't matter if it's rainy or hot or sunny or uphill or down. That Charlie, please ride tempo. Was it at the start of your career like that? Or you, you developed into that role of the diehard domestic yeah, I mean, I think in my case, I think the, the 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 process I went through is pretty similar to what a lot of riders go through. Um, you come into a high level, you see how things work quite quickly. Uh, reality bites quite quickly, you know, in the sense that you soon realize just how high the level is. And, um, you know, a two-year Neo Pro, Pro contract, the clock ticks pretty quick. 
and uh, it's on you to basically make yourself uh, valuable or useful. And um, that's something that I obviously, in the days that I was in MAPE, I was like pretty far down already the road of working that out, uh, that I didn't have either the talent or the sprint or really the mentality to be an out-and-out -out winner. Um, or I definitely couldn't sell myself on that basis, let's say. And then by the time I was racing in uh, in liquid gas, I really had I had my niche, you know. I knew what I could and couldn't do. And I think at that time, that team, the way they raced, really kind of suited, you know, what I could do and and how I could make myself useful. And yeah, I mean, you said it yourself. You you made yourself. Um valuable to a team by working for others and obviously you had some really good days on the bike maybe they didn't translate to personal victories but give us a give us like your top three podium favorite memories on on the bike and what that entailed um i mean most of my strongest memories like that really come from the tour of italy um, it was a race that kind of suited me. Um, it was a time of year I always seemed to go well in. So I think most of the memories I bring away uh, are from that. Um, I remember I was in a breakaway one day with Franco Pellizzotti and he ended up winning the stage. Um, and I mean, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have won if I hadn't been there, you know? Um, and for somebody who's basically paid to try to help other people, that's that's as high as it can get, you know. And uh, there's a few other days um, where I think I really did myself justice, you know, athletically. Did some pretty hard performances, but, you know, often they were quite far, quite far from the finish line. Um, and I think often... Uh, Sometimes people forget that when a guy does a certain job and he swings off, he's still got to get to the finish line. And if you do it a long way from from the line, that can be a pretty miserable ride to the finish. But uh, I'd, I'd say that most of my memories come from the come from the Giro. But see, Charlie, I once I um, donated or I I wrote a column about you. Title was the unsung hero because I I described your day exactly like that. Yeah. These guys, before the stars shine, before the lights go on, before, you know, the center stage is prepared, these guys work hard mm. and there's no camera there to capture that. Mm. And like, just like you said, these have to go to the finish and do the same the next day. Mm. And these guys, like you, Charlie, are the backbone of any team. Guys, they put the hat on go, yes, sir. If they go, hey, Charlie, can you write? You never ask uh, why. No, you only ask how long, how hard, yeah. right? And so I once I did write an article about writers like you, and you were my example because you were basically a role model for a loyal team member. Thanks for that. That's uh, kind of you. See, I, I think that's the best kind of, just to fast forward right now. So you are now a sports director or a DS, director sportif. There's many names that we call it, but like you're you're the one that's, in the car, you're the one that's calling the shots. You're the one in in the meetings. But I always felt that it was not the most talented, biggest champions that made the best directors because you guys actually have a very um, unique perspective on 
the effort that it takes to carry out the battle plan that you actually you know put forward to the guys. What do you think makes you such a good and very well liked by your riders sort of director sportif? What 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 are your characteristics of leadership? Uh, well, I mean, um, I, I, it's not as though I spend my nights, you know, crying by the fireside thinking that, you know, if things would have gone differently for me as a rider that I would have won this, that or the other. You know, I'm, I'm quite okay about the, the, the career that I had um, and I'm grateful for it. But nonetheless, I do think that um, if I could have had some of the, the support that our riders and modern riders have now from the sports directors, uh, I could have done a little bit better. And even for the same results, it could have been maybe a bit easier waters to navigate, you know. So um, I think I draw a bit of inspiration, I'd say, from some of the struggles that I had as a rider. Um, I think back to some of the things that, you know, I worried about as a rider or I thought was important or where I put my attention and I want to kind of pull my hair out, you know, I want to go back and redo it again because often as a rider, you know, you're so up in your own head, you know, you spend a lot of time in your own head. You can get, you can go down some real rabbit holes, get pretty neurotic as riders do. Um, so I find it really rewarding and exciting and interesting as a director to try to put the riders that we have now in the best position to perform and i think that you know uh having been a a bad enough rider to know the struggles is helpful sometimes you know um so my poor performances over the years probably helped prepare me for this in some way you know <laughs> So, uh, Charlie, when, when you're in the car now as the as sports director, what's the worst, the most frustrating thing that can happen to you as the sports director? And what is the coolest thing that can happen to you? Um, I mean, the, 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 the coolest thing is, is pretty obvious. No, it's a, it's a plan that comes together like clockwork and everything goes as you said it would do. And everybody thinks that, you know, you're the smartest guy out there. But when... When I first started this work, um, Alan Piper told me that, you know, you can do just as good a job from one day to the next. And one day you'll be a genius and the next day you'll be an idiot, you know. So, you know, those days are pretty far, uh, few and far between, because as we all know, you know, in cycling, everybody makes plans and then the race happens and, and things things go on like that. Um I think the most frustrating thing for me is um, when, for whatever reason, you can't do your work, you know, um, when the radios aren't working, when you when you, you feel like you'd have a message that would have an impact that would, you know, move the needle for you. And for whatever reason, it doesn't have to be anybody's fault that you just can't get your work done. That's frustrating. You know, sometimes you can be so far behind with the car uh, that the riders can't hear you because of the barrages they put in or, you know, think when things like that happen and you feel like you, your hands are tied, it can be it can be quite frustrating. That's probably the, the worst for me. 
Yeah, I, I, your your job is one of the hardest ones out there because you're putting in a lot of hours. Nowadays, with the technology, you're putting in even more hours even when you're at home. Um, how has the job of being a director sportif changed from when you first jumped into the car until now? I mean, I've I've seen it kind of firsthand, you know, a lot more meetings, you know, basically back in the day, DSs would not have any communication with the riders. And then when you got to the race, they'd go around to the rooms and then they'd say, hi, how you doing? Maybe give you the skin fold test, you know, grab your fat to see if you were in form or not, which used to crack me. Uh, but now, I mean, you guys, you guys are a very science driven team. You have a lot of different programs, a lot of smart people involved. What are some of the the new kind of pieces of your job description now compared to when you first started as a DS? Uh, well, I mean, at, at the risk of sounding like an old fart, uh, when I started, and it wasn't even so long ago, what is it, maybe 10 years ago that I started, I mean, there were no uh, GPX files in use. So already the first year, I, I quickly learned that, you know, you had to track down the right fold-out Michelin map for the area that you were going to go to. And you'd basically take the, the, the race book, which gives you like a, a table listing of all the junctions on the race, you know, N42, you go left onto the D6, and then you'd bring out your, uh, your Michelin map with a, a highlighter pen, and you'd basically trace the route on the map trying to find the small road or whatever it is that could be of interest. Um, and you, you had, to, I mean, it's not like I could just go in Helsinki downtown to find like the, you know, Michelin map 420 of the Auvergne region in the Massif Central. So you had to maybe dig that stuff out on the road. Um, and that's developed massively. Obviously now we have you know, custom-made cycling-specific uh, system called VeloViewer, which has all the big race uh, profiles in. You can dive in and you can basically dig out any information uh, that you want, you know. You can find out exactly where the road is at its steepest, where it's exposed to the wind and this and that and the other. Same goes for the weather. I mean, there's like multiple weather services and there's just like basically unlimited information available. So that's been like a huge change. But as with all these things, there's a certain leveling, you know, when everybody has access to the same software, it still comes back to what you decide to do with it. I mean, am I going to tell uh, the riders about every uh, cattle grid in the road or am I not? That's still on the individual and, you know, down to your style and so on. Um, beyond that, I'd say that, um, the work is, uh, quite much more, what would you say, multifaceted away from the races. Uh, there's a whole group of people, um, assisting the riders performances. And often the director is the, 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 the funnel for that, uh, the filter for that information on the funnel, you know, so they've got nutritionalists. Uh, chiropractors, uh, trainers, they've got all this stuff going on 
and the director is quite often the the funnel for that and the one that tries to help make sense of that and keep them keep them on the straight and narrow so um you know i'd really like to sort of trying to get the point across that what we do isn't just encapsulated in the 25 second youtube clips of us you know having uh, uh, you know intense emotional moments uh, in the car which is obviously a, a big part of the work but there's quite a lot of nuanced stuff that goes on in the background quite a lot of mentoring of the riders um coaching them but coaching them not in the sense of you know handing out training programs but guiding them really um and i think that our group of directors do a really great job with that you know um so there's quite a bit more to it than maybe meets the eye put it that way if you want to get more out of your free time sign up to outside plus for less than a dollar a week you can get a hard copy of valley news magazine choose two books a year from VeloPress, access all the premium content from the whole outside family, including Yoga Journal, Peloton Magazine, and Backpacker. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value every year in one $99 subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com slash outside plus and enter Bobby Jens 25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you'll receive our special 25% discount and you make a good deal great. And now back to our chat with Charlie. Um, now you talked about the, the endless amount of information at uh, some teams, um, also one of my former teams, there was sometimes like a sports director take a car with a GoPro camera and just drive down the last 20, 30 kilometers of every Tour de France stage as soon as they know him. Do you guys still do that or is there enough content on the internet available that you don't need to have a sports director driving the last 50k of Flanders, of Obey, or of the Tour de France stages. Is that still a practice that uh, has been done? Yeah, I mean, if, if, we're, if we're in the right region, um, often in Paris or Tireno, you can be in the same part of the world. It's quite often worth taking a detour before a stage or after a stage to go and drive something. Um, but that You know, that isn't always a, a gift, really, because, I mean, the vegetation at the side of the road is totally different at, uh, in, in the summertime compared to the wintertime. And very often, you know, the roads, uh, they're completely different when they put out the barriers and they take out roundabouts and, and so on. So, I mean, I think if, if you really want the kind of the best possible uh, blue ribbon thing with that, it's basically having somebody skilled drive ahead of the race uh, on the day of the race half an hour before because then you see you know you see the weather real time and you see the vegetation and i mean you know you can drive down a road and think that it's the best place for a, an echelon ever but if 300 people park their camper vans on the correct side of the road then it's not going to happen you know so um 
Grosso modo, I think um, you can do a lot with uh, with the internet. Personally, you know, if I could choose, I'd always drive it. But the absolute best is basically have Andreas Clear drive it half an hour before you, and you get like an audio book of uh, of how to ride the race straight from Andreas. So. Yeah, you just mentioned a, a name of a guy that comes up often uh, with my training buddy George Hincapie. He says that he is like an absolute almanac of information for every single turn and that that is such an such an advantage but you know talking about advantages um you know we're in the off season i'm sure you guys have training camps planned you know kind of loose right now a little bit but uh how is the how is the season shaping up how's the team shaping up for 2022 i see that you guys have some some transfers and obviously had some success with uh, Nielsen Paulus and Magnus Court. R- Rigoberto is Rigoberto. But um, what what do you see uh, 2022 looking like for the EF Education Nepo team? I mean, I think uh, we've got some really exciting uh, prospects, to be honest. I mean, some of them have already been uh, growing within the team uh, for quite a while. Stefan Bissiger has been making great progress. Same goes for uh, Jonas Ruch. I think you know those two are going to be a real dangerous duo over the next uh, next few years. And uh, I think JV did a great job, as he as he always does, in you know looking under the rocks and and behind behind the corners for for talent that maybe got missed in the first sweep or, or, you know, somebody else didn't necessarily see the, the, the value in. So I think there's some super great riders there and I'm really looking forward to getting started with them. And um, when you come uh, come together for a first uh, team training camp, just like one of these days or you already had it? So we're going to have a, a first camp for the, the European-based riders in uh, the first week of January in Girona. Uh, the Colombians and so on, they're going to stay uh, over in South America because they have their national championships at the beginning of February. Um, and, you know, we still play it quite safe, I'd say, in terms of training camps uh, due to the kind of the health situation. But also, you know, we try to minimize unnecessary, you know, inter intercontinental travel in the winter when, you know, The riders, they train good at home. Uh, if they've got a good setup, I don't see the point in, uh, you know, disturbing that and sending them to the other side of Europe to go and ride around three, four hours together. So we have a little bit of a, maybe an unusual strategy with the training camps, but it's one that uh, I really believe in. Yeah, I think that makes a big difference. Um, you know, when you've been to one training camp, you've been to all of them. And especially if you're following the riders as intensely and as closely and supporting them, at home, what, what better place to do it? I know that's more of the old school mentality is, you know, we want to see what these guys are doing, but I kind of like your, your um, take on that. Another really cool thing about your team is that you were one of the first teams to embrace that alternative race program and with, with a lot of success. Uh, What will the guys like Lachlan Morton and Alex Howes be up to this year with that alternative program? Because like this year, Lachlan did some pretty impressive things. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you're going to have to find out in due course exactly what they're doing, but uh, he's creating himself a bit of a problem because he puts the bar so high that every year, you know, he has to think of something more exciting to go and do. Um, but I'm sure they're going to find something something new to do, and uh, I hope it's something that keeps keeps those guys going on that on that route that they're on because I think you know I mean e even for me as somebody who works quite deep in the sport it's so great to watch what they do and what it does for people and I mean it's just uh, to use a sort of overused term it's pretty in inspirational to be honest I would have to agree um, I mean I followed up on some of the adventures um, you know uh, Lachlan trying to beat the Peloton into Paris that was just unheard of right it was so cool to come up with that idea and then also to be able to pull it off I believe he is an incredibly talented rider you know and if you would just focus on let's go okay I just want to be podium in the Giro or Grand Tours I think he could If he just puts his head around, goes, okay, I only focus for an entire year on this, I believe he could. But his his mind just wanders, oh, no, I think I want to do gravel now. And then I do a Grand Tour. And then I try this. I mean, he's a legend, but he, he jumps from left to right and it's hard to keep track of him. I mean, uh, I, think he, I think it was uh, JV said it too. At one point he said, you know, like if he would have been racing in the 1930s he would have done a lot better than he would have done now that's pretty accurate i'd say i mean if you see what the races were like then but i mean if, if you see what lachlan's up to now it's easy to forget that like he was vet or is but as a younger rider he was very very talented in the sort of traditional cycling sense of the word i mean he's like a he's a legit uh top level athlete and he's just he's living his career in this way and i think he's giving us all a great gift by doing it i really do um i mean i watched uh, the film of him in the gb duro a couple of years ago and you know he described the moment where he was on this hillside and had basically walked for 10 kilometers or whatever and had a moment and just had a cry there And asked himself why he was there. And I think all of us who've ridden a bike and been a long way from home and in a headwind and like just miserable have been there, you know. Um, but he he tells such a great story. And I think he makes cycling better for all of us. Uh, and I think he's a, great, totally he's a great advert for the sport, you know. My biggest fear, if I would ever had become a sports director, would have been driving the car, you know, listen to the radio, writing down the numbers of the breakaway, handing out the bottle with the left hand. Um, you got five guys in your slipstream, three guys passing on your right, one on the left, plus you passing out bottles. What is it as difficult as I imagine driving the car in a in a hectic race? And how long did it take you to adapt from being the bike rider in front of the car to become the director sitting inside the car? Um, I mean, the, the actual driving, honestly, uh, it. I mean, the, there are moments where it gets intense, obviously, um, but it's not maybe as 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 hectic as it looks. You know, if you've if you've raced a bike, 
and you've been in a peloton and you it 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 gives you the ability to basically guess what the riders are going to do and what kind of line they're going to take in a corner and you basically do what you need to do to to stay out of their way right and i think that if you've raced in a good level in a peloton with a proper convoy i think after a while with a bit of common sense that comes of itself the other thing i'd say is it's an environment that it's built it's built for that right you know all the people there know what they're doing and are on the same page so you know if if you compare it to like day to day driving it looks like everybody's kind of breaking the rules but we're just playing to different rules really you know um it does get a little bit intense with all the motorbikes because the thing is back there is there's a lot of people trying to do a lot of different jobs and that can get a little bit uh a little bit feisty you know um but generally i'd say you know uh the level is good people really do their absolute best to be the safest they can you know in a lot of big races now you don't you see you know for example in the tour there's very often a director who's driving and another one who's talking which is a great help um and i think if you think how many you know moving parts there are back there it generally works quite okay you know it goes pretty smooth also the riders know that we're there generally people understand that everybody's trying to do a job and you know there's obviously the youtube moments but generally it goes pretty good i'd say considering how many hours in a year we we're, were sat back there so well one more question from my my side at least and i'm always curious to hear people like you that are you know knee deep in it still um jens and i we can sit back on our couches and and watch the sport and say oh this could be better that could be better but um I'm curious from from your point of view for the overall improvement of cycling in general, the understanding, the sport itself, the economics. Is there anything that you could share with us right now that that you would like to see, you know, happen in the next couple of years where you think would make a, a real positive impact on on the sport? There's so much to be honest that we could or should be improving you know um but i would say that at the level i work at um everything that we can do around rider safety should be done you know um that's not to point the finger at anybody but there's an awful lot at stake the roads are changing pretty fast and most of the road design is around slowing down traffic rather than you know facilitating bike races and um you know i think we all enjoy races where uh the right athlete wins you know that there can be that there can and should be you know misfortune and drama and so on but we don't want to see races where you know the re- the result is blown out of the water by sort of you know random accidents and so on um and you know i think everything that we can do to try and keep the sport relevant in that sense 
and keep it functioning and keep everybody as safe as possible, bearing in mind that it is a sport with, you know, inherent dangers. And that's, I guess, in a sense, been part of the attraction, you know, this, uh, the fact that riders do do amazing things. Um, I think if we can work on that, we're all going to do ourselves a favor. And I think, you know, of course, there's always a tendency to sort of point fingers at another group or so on. But at the end of the day, everybody's in that pot together. The teams, the riders, the organizers, even, you know, broadcasters and so on. But we all want good races. And we don't want, you know, people to get hurt unnecessarily. And we don't want races to be decided by uh, stuff like that. So I think that's something that, you know, that, that there's obviously a lot of effort being made by people that isn't necessarily always seen, but I think we should keep uh, chipping away at that, to be honest. That's some very wise words. So maybe my last question, we have to cut in before that, because these words were pretty good finishing off words. So my question was, or let me give you a quick example. I had a teammate um, and on a December training camp. Uh, one night he came home on all fours, literally on all fours, okay? Uh, of course, unnamed. I can't remember. Not to save my life, can't remember his name. The next year, he became a sports director. And he heard, like, uh, um, us writers, oh, yeah, maybe we have a beer. And the same guy coming home on all fours. The, the, the year before, when, if I see you driving, I make you uh, pack your suitcases and go home. I was like, don't, don't be silly. Don't give us that. Did you have moments like that when you changed from an active bike rider to become a sports director? Did you ever experience any like a little awkward or funny moments like that? Yeah, I think that's what isn't it. What do they call that? That's the that's the poacher turned gamekeeper, isn't it? That's what they call it. I think in English. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, when I first began. Um, I was working with riders who were, had been my peers, right? Uh, all of them were better riders than me as well, so they'd been above me in the in the food chain until pretty recently before that. Um, so there weren't. I, I didn't have those kinds of moments because they were most. The riders had quite a bit of common sense, to be honest. And, you know, that whole partying thing was quite quickly uh, sort of fading out by the time I jumped uh, jumped over to the other side. Um, but there were times when um, I, find it, I found it quite hard to have, you know, conversations with riders about selections or this or that or the other when uh, I'd been their uh, colleague in the peloton, you know. Um, I don't know how I uh, navigated that, whether I did it a good job of it or a bad job of it, but I did my best. Um, and I think it's sometimes a little bit part of the game, you know, that it's not easy necessarily to make that transition and it's not necessarily easy for the people, you know, uh, on the other side to hear you taking a different kind of position, you know, because you're looking for the team's interests and you're, you're working in that role. So... Maybe that's not necessarily the easiest thing for, for some people to hear at times, but I did my best and I and I tried my best. So I have to see what everybody else says. 
Yeah, you, you stick around much longer, there won't be any of those uh, buddies in the Peloton anymore. That's for sure. I, I've, I found that out the hard way. I have to go and study the, the rosters of these teams nowadays. But you see, when, you see when the riders are getting older, when they have to come more and more into the cars to have a chat with somebody in a quiet moment of a race, you know, rather than staying in uh, inside the Peloton because all the people are in the cars rather than being in the group. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, yeah. Good times, Charlie. We really appreciate you taking time out of your day. It was great catching up with you, um, getting some very interesting insight in what's going on in the current Peloton from the director sportif point of view. Um, have a great, great off season and good luck in the 2022 season. Same from my side. Thanks for being our guest and it was great to catch up and, you know, have a good chat with you, have a good laugh. It's always good chatting with you, Charlie. So hopefully soon we can do this again. Thanks very much. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Massive thanks to Charlie for being our guest. Thanks a million for listening and please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Bella News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Moza. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. And you think that it's over, but it's not. To those of you who are still listening, we have a special treat for you coming next week. We have an interview with Tony Hawk right before Christmas, and right before New Year's, we have Brett Favre. Before we go, a quick word from our sponsor, Zwift. One of the most fun parts about cycling is climbing. So why not try Garrett Thomas's athlete workout, Fun is Flying Uphill. A great pillar of any climber is muscular endurance, and believe me when I say, that's what you'll get. Testing yourself on training plans alongside world-class cyclists is what makes Zwift so exciting. I can't wait to show my friends the fitness I've built at home. All you need is a bike, trainer, and the Zwift app. Visit Zwift.com and I'll see you on there soon. Ride on.